This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Hey, you ready for a pop quiz? All right. What does a human propulsion engineer do? What does STEM stand for? And why is it important when it comes to our kids and our future? And finally, how can we be more purposeful when it comes to preparing ourselves and those we love for success in today's challenging world? If you've struggled with any of those questions, well, you're in luck because our guest on this episode brings the knowledge on all these things and much more. Author and TED speaker Nathaniel A. Turner is the author of several books, including his soon-to-be-released first children's book, The Amazing World of STEM, and his history-making book, Raising Superman. Nate inspires his audiences to live outside the box so that the world might be better able to experience us at our very best. And he is a zealous advocate that every person has the opportunity to maximize their human potential. This episode is incredibly powerful and inspiring, and one you won't want to miss. So let's get started, everyone. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're going to keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another amazing sounding episode of our Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm your host, Scott Schutte, and with us, you'll love him, Dan Coonrod. Ho, 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 he's such a good little boy. Mr. Coonrod, how you doing, sir? I'm fair to Midland, Scott. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. You know, I have some holiday um, spirit news that i need to share because i found something awesome i really really did um yeah do you have you ever heard of elf on the shelf i have i have i have some do you have an elf on the shelf no no so we went shopping yesterday and we went just to go lynn and i went shopping yesterday and we stopped into one of those goofy stores and i found something even better than uh than an elf on a shelf you want to guess what it is I'm so afraid. Uh, No, go for it. What you got? We got a Krampus on the counter. That's right. (laughs) Okay, but wait, wait. It doesn't even rhyme. I mean, cool points for Krampus. (laughs) It's awesome. Um, So, folks, if you would like to really scare your kids, like forget about the uh, elf on the shelf, get a Krampus on the corner. Also with us today, she's super excited. About her football team, um, you may or may not want to talk about football, but here she is, Abby Dawson, everybody. 
Abby. Roll Tide. Yeah, right? <laughs> where did you guys end up this where, right so where where does your team uh end up after last night's thrashing yeah so polls haven't come out yet but we should be going to um the national championship playoffs like the the next round or whatever and um we were fourth ranked fourth in most polls and uh we're crossing our fingers we should i think end up one or two because we beat the top uh team in the nation last night georgia so yeah, but we'll probably play Georgia again. It's all very exciting. <laughs> well, that, that's super <laughs> exciting. I'm I'm just super jelly that you have a team that uh, is consistent in the W category. I'm not used to that. Daniel, how are, are you used to that? Or you don't care? Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't care. That sounds so bad to say, but I don't. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's unfortunate. I'm just a really sad... Yeah, the Vikings play the uh, Lions today. The Lions will probably get their first win. So, um, hey, listen, we're not here to talk about football. We're here to talk about some really, really interesting stuff. And we got an amazing guest with us uh, today, folks. He uh, calls himself a human propulsion engineer. And I'm so excited to uh, find out exactly what that means. Uh, And we're going to do so in a little segment that we call What's Your Deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? Nathaniel Turner, sir. Good morning. Or What's good afternoon. What's your deal? <laughs> good morning, good morning, evening, whenever the heck we're listening to it. What's your deal, sir? What is my deal? My deal is to leave the planet better than it was when I arrived. In short, that is my deal. Awesome. And, and, like just, and, and, and find a number of ways to do that. So I, I learned some years ago that the UN says there are 17 things that threaten the existence of the planet. And so I feel like I, I should be here at least working on one of those things. Well, we're super excited to hear about like um, one of those things. And we're going to get into that shortly. Um, could you talk a little bit to our audience about maybe your, your professional and or learning journey? Like, how did you get to this space? And then we'll kind of dive into the stuff we're going to talk about. Well, about 57 years ago, a woman named Gladys and a man named Tommy were in <laughs> New Mexico. And you don't mean that story. You, you didn't say no, this. No, I don't PG. mean that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not go that far back. We're talking <laughs> learning journey. That's not, the furthest back yeah, that, anyone's ever taken. That's us. where my learning journey began. <laughs> right? It began at conception. Um, yeah. And my learning journey continues. So it, it, it is a journey that, in all seriousness, it, it does not, it, does, it has no ending. It certainly has a beginning, but it has, has no ending. Okay, cool. Awesome. We're going to talk a lot today about learning, um, and let's go ahead and dive into it. The uh, topic of the week, folks. Okay, topic of the week here, STEM. Talk to us a little bit about, um, about STEM. What is it, and how'd you come up with it, and why is it important? Sure. So STEM, the acronym STEM, it stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. Uh, my son and I, though, we wrote a book called The Amazing World of STEM, and STEM stands for Stuart Tyson Elmo Morgan. And what we wanted to do is use the story of a eight-year-old, uh, I don't know, I hate to say boy, an eight-year-old young man 
on his own life journey and learning journey. But what he was pr primarily trying to teach uh, in the book or to teach parents that there's another way to create communities and society so that we all can live together in, in a real form of harmony. And he does that using science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. What was the inspiration for, for the book? My son is the inspiration. The inspiration for most, most everything I've done, certainly over the last, he's 26 now, so the last 26 years. Um, so I have a son who is, uh, mostly parents say their children are amazing. I have a son who is, who is amazing. He's uh, a fourth-year PhD candidate at Carnegie Mellon in the School of Electrical and Computer Engineering. And uh, he became such a, a, a sort of a, quote-unquote, aberration in our, in our community that we decided that it was time to show other families how to do the exact same thing we did and how to do it better than we did. And the way that, um, that his life, the trajectory of his life today is built on the idea that he's mastered STEM. He's mastered science, technology, engineering, math, or I would say mastered as much as he can master it at this point. But because we're all on a learning journey, he'll continue to uh, hopefully get better at that. That's awesome. That's, that's super fantastic. Uh, I want to ask just a little bit. You call yourself a human propulsion engineer. Right. Uh, so immediately in my mind, I'm, I'm imagine driving really fast, but I assume that probably means something else for you. Yeah, you're right on it. You said it, it means um, driving really fast. We're, we're all driving <laughs> really fast. The question I'd ask is, where are we driving? And it feels oftentimes that we're driving off of a cliff and we're not paying any attention. Some, some years ago, I wrote this little book called um, Stop the Bus. And, and they illustrated, um, illustrated a bus driver who was blind, um, who was driving a bus, and people were trying to get on and off, and nobody knew where they were going. And I feel a lot of times that that's the way we live our lives. We're on this collective bus together. We don't know. People take turns driving. We don't know if they have a driver's license. We don't know what direction they're going. And, and so for me, that means that humanity is, it has real, we have real, no, no real direction. And, and the objective as a humanity propulsion engineer is to realize that, as I mentioned earlier, there are 17 things that threaten the existence of the planet and we need to pay attention to them. And so I feel like everybody's role is to, that we're all part of the humanity, but all of us have a role of propelling us forward and engineering by coming up with tools, techniques, and strategies to show us all how to be better versions of ourselves. So I have a degree in English, minor in philosophy. I love watching documentaries about science. I work for a company that is, uh, it's a green company, it works in the solar industry. Um, I love being part of that, you know, we have to heal the planet solution. What has been interesting for me, and especially in this role, is I've, I have a great respect for sciences, but I've always been like, my place is in the arts because I'm, I, I enjoy writing, I enjoy communication, but I want to play a role. And to your point, everyone has to be um, involved, right, to save the planet. How, how can folks like me um, find our place in that? Um, I, I, I'm terrible at math. I can barely do addition, <laughs> but I want to be part of that solution too. And, and I want to bring that solution to my son too, who probably has some of the same um, idiosyncrasies I do about, he may, he's young, but he may struggle with math the same way I did and find science and math to just be a lot harder than English and philosophy. 
Okay, so a lot of lot you said a lot there, so I'll try to unpack. I did. Yeah, I'm no, so it's, sorry. it's all good. I was like, okay, which part of it should I try to should I try to address? Um, listen, I think we do uh, we do ourselves a great disservice. I tell my wife all the time that we we mostly live as as a fractured humanity, so people tend to pick the, if you can imagine this ideal of a trinity, and I don't want to I don't want to turn this into some spirituality thing, but but most of us understand this ideal of Father, Son, Holy Ghost. We understand this thing of mind, body, and spirit. And I said, most of the time, we only fun- focus on one aspect of, of whatever it is that makes us us. So if it's our mind, our body, our spirit, and that thing that we're best at, that's all we focus our time in. And subsequently, by doing that, other people see us the same way. So if you see yourself primarily as a person who's good at writing in English, then everyone will put you in that box because you have said you're happy to go in that box. But if you say, no, I'm a member of this planet and daggone, I get a right to say in, in, in how this planet turns out. And I don't care if I'm not a scientist. I can tell you that I don't want to drink water that's not clean. I don't want to walk outside and breathe air that's not clean. I don't want to know that the soil that we that we're putting our seeds in, our genetically modified seeds, are, are going to kill me sometime later on. So I think the the question is the the answer to the question is that we have to we have to first stop seeing ourselves as one thing and see ourselves as a as a much uh, a, a larger member of a very large uh, planetary community. That's I love awesome. that. I want to go. I have like a inspiration board that we keep in our office that I have some quotes on. Now I'm going to go write. I'm not one thing on that board. <laughs> And, and then you said your son, your son is going to be great at math if you say he's going to be great at math. But if you say your son is going to have the same issues you had, well, you are the tree and your fruit can only be as good as you believe your fruit can be. And if your fruit is limited to just doing English, then your fruit will just do English. But if you expand it, I'm not I'm not an engineer, but I've but we've raised an engineer um, and I'm not. The, the kinds of math that he does, I just go have a seat. I once saw him do a math problem on one of those whiteboards, or is it, it's not white, it's clear boards. And he was like, that's half the problem. And I was like, dude, that's the size of my kitchen window. Like, what? It's <laughs> 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 just, just part of the problem for today. I'm like, I have no, I have no, no concept of how to do that, but he does. And, um, and it started because we believed he could do anything he wanted to do. So, he wasn't limited in the stock. So it sounds like from your book, that process of creating an environment where your kids can go beyond you, that starts early, doesn't it? Starts, yeah. Start started for us before we knew what we were having. Um, we wrote Harvard before our, our son was born. And we wrote Harvard for an application. And so the application was, <laughs> was so that this unborn child would one day be able to meet the academic qualifications of Harvard. So what we what we what we were doing at the time that we had no idea what well, we were backward designing a child's life. We took the application from Harvard. Obviously, the first thing it says is they want students who do well academically. And OK, well, in our early mind, what that meant was, well, we got to make sure if he's going to do well academically, that this boy or girl that we're going to have needs to be able to start reading and, and being able to count and do those things as quickly as possible. And the second thing we found in the application from Harvard was they said they wanted students who were world citizens. And for us in our early thinking was, well, we made make sure 
he or she can speak at least one additional language. And then the third thing is they said they want people who care for something greater than themselves. And at the time I was working on my master's in history and theology, I was in law school. And I'm like, okay, well, I got that part. That's a, that's a, some spiritual piece. I have to make sure we raise a child who wants to be humanitarian. And so that's, we, we took those three aspects and made that his template for his entire life. You know, I think that's amazing. And what I really heard you talk about is this idea of being purposeful. And I think in education and instructional design, that's like the first step. Like you never put anything out there without some clear objective. So what's going to be new and better when we're done? And to be able to apply that thinking to parenting, because I got to be honest with you, nobody gave me a book on here. Here's how you parent your kid, right? No one even gave me an article to read. I just woke up one day and I was a dad. And I think yeah. most of us go through that. And the thing that's inspiring to, to me and hopefully to the rest of our audience is you don't have to be that way. You can decide. And I, I love this idea of backwards engineering. Um, you can decide what you need to prepare your child for success and to move forward with. And sadly, if you're going to leave it up to everybody else, good luck, because no one, no one else is really going to do a good job at that. Agree totally. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing you said that there's no book, and and here we are in 2021. We're watching um, billionaires go to space, like the, like they're driving across the street, and we're still talking about the most important, I'd say, profession on the planet, which is to be a parent. We are responsible for preparing whoever are going to be the next leaders of of this planet, and we don't have any instructions. I guess the most bizarre thing ever, why, why don't we have simple instructions? Do this, don't do that, right? We could, we could at least have some kind of guidebook. It is amazing. We need licenses for everything. I got to have a COVID vaccination card to attend a, a concert, but I don't have to do anything to be, to be a parent, nothing. Well, I do have to do something, but again, we're keeping this PG. <laughs> <laughs> But that, but there, yeah, there's no requirements. I want to go back to um, something like the, the whole idea of we can prepare them to be what what we'd like them to be. Um, I think past generations have kind of had a luxury to where like their destiny was kind of whatever they could dream up. Um, there weren't huge problems they were trying to solve, but I think our generation is facing this climate problem that is like feels terrifying and growing every day. Um, Talk to me about why is STEM something we should be focusing on with our kids right now? Because for the first time in history, we do have a problem that has to be solved by us and our kids. Yeah. Well, so most of what, what we do today is is dictated by science, technology, engineering, mathematics. We're all together right now because of science, technology, engineering, mathematics. We, we couldn't have done this. 20 years ago. This, this, this is something we would have, a child would have imagined this, right? We would have, this is the Jetsons. We would imagine being on a screen, some child imagined it. And now that child um, imaginings became a reality from some other child, right? In a classroom somewhere uh, 50 years ago, Hanna-Barbera, right? They are, I think they're the inventors of the Jetsons. Somewhere they were 60 years ago, they were imagining this minute. And then children like us were watching the show and imagining, well, could that really be? And some other children who 
understand and master science, technology, engineering, math said, you know, it's possible. And now we, we're all sitting together. So I think it's always been, it's been critical. I think the, one of the problems today is we just need a, a more diverse group of people who are going to be involved with that. And by diverse, I don't mean race. I mean diverse by the diversity of thought and a concern for something other than profit. The one thing that I, I watch when I think about STEM today is mostly about profit. I look at Elon Musk and he's Tesla and he's worth over $300 billion. And we rave over that, but but I'm not asking any other questions. Well, well, when are, when are we going to fix the planet, Elon? Right? If 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 electrification is the great thing, when are we going to actually use the sun completely and stop using fossil fuels to create electricity? So um, I think we, again, that's what I said earlier. We all have to be a part of the discussion, and the more prepared our our children are to be a part of the discussion, the better off we are. So that we're not just limiting to a small segment of people who are able to have a say about what happens in the future. You know, one of the things that you talk about in the book is this idea of the village, right? Which is not a new concept, right? It takes a village that has been around for a while. But could you speak a little bit about, hey, as a parent, and you think about your kid, who needs to be in that village? Like, you know, let's be purposeful again about who, you know, we want to, who, Who's going to be in the village, right? So if you want to change your life, change out who you hang out with, right? So uh, mm-hmm. talk to us a little mm-hmm. bit about the village and who should be in it. So, so of course, we all, we all talk about, um, we've heard the, the quote, it takes a village to raise a child. The interesting thing is we never talk about who the villagers are. Like, so are, are, they, are they good villagers? Are they village idiots? Like, who, who exactly is, <laughs> is in the village? Right? It's keenly important. When I think about my own childhood, I, I, I realized that but for five people, who were not my mother and father, I wouldn't have this wonderful opportunity to talk to you all today. There are five people whose, whose children, uh, who already had children of their own, and then decided to bring me into the fold and treat me and love me like their own child for no good reason. And it is because of those people's encouragement to tell me I could do more than my high school guidance counselor thought I could do, that I'm here. When, I, when Latani and I... Um, decided to have a child, one of the things we thought of was, was this, this ideal of, well, how do we give our child kind of the same village? And, and if, you, if you know anything about Jim Rohn, right, he famously says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. But there's also a, a, a British scientist by the name of Robin Dunbar, who did a study, and it's called Dunbar's Number. And he, and he shows that 40% of all of our interactions, our behaviors, our, our thoughts, our actions are guided by our relationship with five people. And so, so, so we started thinking about, well, okay, well, this thing five seems to be important. What if we came up with this ideal of a starting five? So today we, we show families how to create what we call a starting five, which is, if you like sports, it's basketball uh, uh, analogy, uh, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and center. And we believe every, every child should have a point guard, somebody who points them in the right directions and guards all their hopes and dreams. We believe every child should have a shooting guard. Someone who, when you walk in a room and you're depressed or down, that person tells you all the time to shoot for the, the moon. And if you miss, you'll land up on the stars. Someone who's always highly encouraging. We have um, this ideal for someone to be a small forward to end a child's life, to make sure you dot all your I's and cross all your T's, make sure all the small details are taken care of. Um, there's a ideal of a power for it, someone that's part of the collective that tells all the other adults when we get sick and tired of the child, because we will get sick and tired of the child, that this is not about us. This is about 
something much bigger than us. So we all need the power forward. And then the last person is the center of influence to give a child a, a relationship with someone who um, knows other people or certainly knows the importance of engaging with people in a particular way. And so we've tried to give our son that. And there are other people that are part of the village, but from time to time, there are essentially five people that are part of his life in that, in that, in that way. I feel like I need to go do more work. You've given me two yeah. action items already, Nathaniel. <laughs> well, I certainly need all those positions in my village right now. I probably have two. Yeah. I'm trying to win a basketball game with only two people on the court helping me out. So I love that analogy. I really do. And you know, one of the things that I think is also really important, and I'm sure you could talk a little bit about this too, is you know, just because you have your team today doesn't mean that you're not constantly evaluating the talent that you've got on your team to help everybody win, right? So one of the things that I've learned in leadership is to like always be evaluating, do I have everybody, um, do I have the right people to help me win? So um, is that something that is part of that process too? Like, well, you know, you have someone in, uh, as a point guard for a season and then you know, I need a better one. So go for it. <laughs> you got to trade and upgrade. <laughs> absolutely. Um, absolutely. So the the ideal with with um, Dr. Dunbar, he says that that we generally can have a, a relationship with 150 people at a time, and and so I think the way he explained it was that if you were getting ready to get married or have some kind of big family event, if someone asked you who were the first five people you wanted to invite, you could think of those people just automatically, and then there may be ten other people that you would think of pretty quickly, and so those the first five, first ten make up 60 percent of your personal interaction. So 40 and 20, and then the other um, 135 people make up the last 40. So the goal is at some point that, you know, you, you'll probably be introduced to 150 people, your children will be introduced to 150 people. And you just, you know, sort of make a, a note about the kinds of people that you meet and stay in touch with so that one day they can be, maybe be a part of the village. And I, I believe I started off as my, as my son's point guard. But I'm not sure that I'm always his point guard. Sometimes I'm the power forward that has to beg and plead people, forgive him for he know not what he's done. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, sometimes I'm the guy that's encouraging him. Um, so we change roles. My wife is usually, without question, his, point, his, um, his small forward because she's meticulous about um, making sure that he covers all of the, the small details. He has an uncle who will call us all and tell us all off and sometimes call him and tell him off. So, um, but there is, yeah, there is some of that ebb and flow of people coming in and out of those roles. And your son's grown now, right? So yes. you kind of put this in place when he was younger. Has he carried it through and, and did he kind of take it over? Yeah. So one, one of the, the, the other t the tools is that we've done is, is we've created this thing called the ASS, with the, which is the academic success strategy. I'm not using profanity. I'm not cussing at anyone. Um, <laughs> but we, we do say lead with your ass, A-S-S. And so as his, um, his freshman year at Santa Clara, we went for undergrad, he sent us a um, Google message to tell us that he couldn't be an engineer, which, which was completely surprising to us, certainly to me. And, and because at the time, he, he almost had a perfect SAT score. He was accepted to 27 of America's best engineering schools. And here he is saying to me, I can't be an engineer. And I'm like, well, then if you can't, then I have no idea in the world who can be an engineer. 
But what it what what dawned on us after having a conversation is that our son is very process oriented, and even as an athlete, athletes have a very uh, a, a meticulous process. Right, you have to drink so much water, you have to wake up at a certain time for practice, and suddenly when you get dropped off in college, right, you don't have any, you don't necessarily have to have a process. So we've realized we need to create a process for him, and that now is called the academic success strategy. So there are twenty things he does each day seven things he does each week, and three to four things he does each quarter semester. And when the university, once, once we implemented that after the first quarter, the, every quarter thereafter, he never got less than a 3.7, and he was working on three science degrees at the time. So, yeah, and doing a bunch of other stuff. And the university asked him one day, what are you doing? And he said, well, I, I use this system. And so he started teaching it to some of the other students on campus. And we've gone other places and shared this, this very process with other families and students. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So, yes, Abby, yeah, that he's, seems he's like, taking it over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a lifestyle tool. That's not just for raising kids. That's that. Uh, I want to take that back and figure out why my mornings are such a mess and I can't get dishes out of the sink. Like, I feel like maybe I need to examine what my process is. <laughs> you know, the, the, the funny part about that is it so did I. And when, when I realized that I was a hypocrite with my son, and I have a really interesting relationship. I, I learned more for him from him than he learns from me. So when when you stand in a room and someone asks you, to give a presentation about this thing. And then they say, just what you said, do you, what do you well, well, Nate, what's your system for every day? And I'm like, well, I don't have a system for every day. <laughs> I don't have a system for anything. <laughs> right? Like, this is hypocrisy, man. You got to come up. So, so to that end, I've, that's exactly what I've, what I've done the last three or four years. I've done that very thing. I've created a system for myself each morning um, and a system for myself each each quarter that I review um, that in, includes uh, vision boards and journaling every day and brushing my teeth with my left hand and walking first with my left foot, and working out every day, walking five or six miles a day, those kind of things. Can I ask, there's another book you wrote that I, I wanted to ask about. Um, my son, who's four years old, is on a new kick where, speaking of brushing your teeth, like, Anything he doesn't want to do, he says, but is boring. And I'm like, I, I've got to break him out of that. Um, because if it's not on a screen or a monster truck toy, it is boring to him. <laughs> and you have this book called What Are We Going to Do Today? Uh, that really got my attention. Because the, to me, from the description, it's, you know, when they say I'm bored or I don't have anything to do, here's the solution. <laughs> and I love that. It's not, but to me, it was like, it's not just a bunch of tasks. It's creating this culture in the house of we're not going to be bored. Talk to me a little bit about this book because I'm fascinated. Yeah, I used to when Twitter is Twitter still a thing? I don't know. I don't. I don't tweet. But <laughs> yeah. I believe it is still a thing. Um, I used to very, uh, very try, much still a thing. <laughs> it is still a thing. <laughs> I'm showing my age. Um, Hey, get off my get off my lawn! Sound the old cranky guy. Um, <laughs> right, my. My son would take, I used to try to tweet and my son would take it one day. He, he decided to take the tweets and turn the tweets into a, um, a self-help manual for parents. Uh, that, and so he created 52 things parents could do for their children. 
Um, so that's that's it's actually his book. He, he took my tweets, turned them into um, action items, and then we found an illustrator and he illustrated those fifty-two things. And so, yeah. So the parents, so the parents and children primarily can can stay connected. His his concern was, or I guess maybe his concern, his excitement was how connected his parents have been with him, how connected we all still are. Um, three weeks ago, we met in L.A. so we could go to Disney. So we went to Disney World or Disneyland, Disneyland with this 26-year-old who's still running his parents, 50-plus-year-old parents around in a theme park who his parents are now begging, <laughs> can we go home now? I'm tired. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but we're still his play pals. But but essentially, that's what the book is about, finding a way to to stay engaged with our children so that we can continue to, to be pals for as long as possible. You know, I, I, I love, love that. that idea. Um, you know, something I've talked with my daughter, who's 15, about is just like, hey, like, it's important as we both grow and, and develop that, like, the traditional parent-child relationship grows and develops, too. Uh, I know so many people who, as they grew from you know, child to teen to adult, their their relationship with their parents strained because they still saw their parents as parents, and they their their you know they still their parents still saw them as children, mm-hmm. and so without any room to grow and develop those relationships, they just drift apart. And everybody's like, "Oh yeah, I talked to my parents for for Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, I talked to them once this month." And it's, I love that. I love the fact that you you and your your son are still hanging out, and you're you're leaving room for that relationship to change and develop. That's awesome. You know, one of the things that I that I refused to do, my wife and I refused to do when when he was born, was to call him a to call him a child or baby. Well, we could say it was our child. We wouldn't call him a baby or anything like that or boy. And one of the reasons that we didn't want to do that is the very thing you just described. That that is very hard to figure out what a demarcation is for between childhood and adulthood. And rather than be faced with that, what we decided to do is just tell people he was our man in training. Because the idea was that if, if you think about old McDonald on the farm and old McDonald sings about what he, he's um, responsible for taking care of, when he says, he talks about um, old McDonald on the farm, let's say Yayo and on the farm he had a, uh, a chick. He doesn't ever, old McDonald doesn't, the song is not about raising a chick. The song is about raising a chicken. It's not about raising, right, a calf. It's about raising a cow. And, but when we when we talk about parents, we're always we're we're we talk about raising boys and girls. And I'm like, well, we're not raising boys and girls. Actually, we're raising men and women. So why don't I just skip the boy and girl part and just call him what he is? He's a man in training. One day he'll be a full man. Right now he's he's in training. And even though he's a you know a couple hours old and he's just crying all the time and laying on his mother's breast. He is still a man in training. I still cry a lot, and I go home sometimes and lay on my mother's chest as well. So, like that, that doesn't change because of how old you get. But we decided just just focus on on the end, on the outcome, which was that he would be a man, and that's that's the way we would develop that relationship. That's awesome. You know, we've talked a little bit about being purposeful and about habits and um, lots of really groovy stuff. In, in the book, you talk a little bit about this idea of a, a life template, right? So mm-hmm. those specific things that can, you know, inspire and motivate and help your 
um, men and women in training grow up to be amazing people. Could you talk a little bit about that and how our audience might be able to apply that to uh, their family or even to their personal lives? Sure. So the life template is is essentially is this backward design approach again to to life. And so I would ask, I'm gonna ask you all this: that that is that is that if you think of one word that's the most important word in the planet, what do you think that word is? Love. Okay. Good answer, Abby. I feel like I'm a game talk show host, Abby Dawson. <laughs> um, I. For me is like I think peace, okay. not necessarily world peace, but like that an internal like calm peace okay. for me. And last but not least, Daniel. <laughs> I know I waited to go last, and all the good words are, are taken. I, I'm I, just live, live. Okay. So we got live, love, and peace. Those are all very good things. So I always tell people I think the most important word is who, and I think because who will define. Will, will appear in your uh, obituary, who you were, who will appear when you are when your eulogy is spoken, and lastly, who will appear on your tombstone or your epitaph. Now, in your tombstone, may Abby say love, and Scott, it may say live, and Daniel, it might Mine say will peace. probably not. It'll, it, it might, <laughs> it might say peace. It'll say peace. Mine will probably not say live. <laughs> <it'll> say, <laughs> so, so, so for me, that's where that's where the template begins. The template begins at the end when your time on this planet is up. How do you want people to speak of you? Because honestly, I believe we're all living our obituary, our eulogy, our epithet today. Like, and so, and so when you when you look at your life that way, and you say, okay, well, I know how I want it to end then everything we should be doing on a daily basis should be to lead us to that point that when it is an end, that it reads exactly the way we want it to read. And that's what we do with the template. So when there's when we're talking about students in school and you ask a parent, what do you want for your child? And a parent says, I want my child to go to college. And I'm like, well, does it matter what college they go to? Does it matter how much student debt they have? Do they imagine, does it matter when they're done if the person says the college name first or they say your child's name first? There is a difference to that. Like, what do you? What is it that you you want? Do you just want a child who goes to college? Or do you want a child who finishes college? Do you want a child? So, like, we ask all of these questions to get it to get down to what are people's hopes and dreams are in reality. Then we we talk about you know what happens with the planet. Do you want to be a participant? Do you think it's important to be able to speak someone else's language? Do you think it's important to know another person's culture and their history? And if it, which so, then let's let's learn those things. And then and then lastly, do you care about something greater than yourself? And in which case, then we need to find out ways that you can contribute uh, daily to this thing called you know, the human condition. And that's that's the template that we and we we just put things in place to make those things a reality. So if you're talking about a a, a small child and you're saying, well, I just got a baby. What are you talking about, Nate? Help my child to be able. And I'm like, well, seeing dance with your child as much as possible. Play with your child, do interactive things, write letters to your child. I, that's what I did. I wrote our son letters from age two to 16. Um, but tell your child about what your hopes and dreams are for them. Write your child like you, tomorrow may not be a reality for you. And if you are to leave, what lessons do you want your child to know before your time runs out? So um, that's, I, could, I could probably go on and on, but that, I don't think you want me to go on and on. So I'll, I'll stop there. I love that, Nathan. And uh, Nathaniel, I tell you, my parents 
when we were kids, I have I have four siblings. My parents moved us to the best school district they could afford, and they could like barely afford it. It was like the skin of their teeth. Um, and they told us when we were young that they knew that they were putting themselves in that position, but they put us in that school because they wanted us to have the best education, but they also wanted us around people who were telling their kids, you're going to, to a good college so that you can meet people who care about their future and have a plan and are going to find success come hell or high water. Because to your point about that starting five, like that's putting people in the right environment. If you can do anything to my parents, that was the most important thing. My husband, on the other hand, yeah, his, his family took a totally different approach. They were like, he's in school. That's good enough. The people he went to school with, like maybe they'll go to college. Maybe they'll work at the gas station down the street. They're all going to stay in the same neighborhood. Everybody seems to be doing fine. I can't tell you what a difference. And as adults, we're still learning how that has changed us and, and, and affected our outlook. And now that we're raising a son, we see it almost every day <laughs> in those conversations about what are we going to do for him? <laughs> yeah, I, I completely. So I'm, I'm a believer. <laughs> I completely get it. And sadly, we're still living in a nation where the the educational opportunities are predicated on zip code. And so the idea behind our template is to show parents how to take charge of it yourself because we, if we just keep waiting for someone else to decide that all our children deserve an equal and high-level quality education, well, the, the more technology we have, the more disparities we are actually starting to see because of that. So, no. Yeah, and unfortunately, the pandemic really showed us the gaps, right? So when you mm-hmm. have children sitting in front of a 7-Eleven studying because they don't have internet in their home. That's a problem, right? When you have children out of school for months because because the, our educational system wasn't prepared for distance learning and had no idea, weren't coaching people up, that, that's, a, that's a big problem. Um, so one of the things that I'm inspired by this discussion is my role in that, right? Uh, my, my role in making this world a better place because quite frankly, our kids, are, are, those are, that's our future, right? And, and what they do and in, in, in how they live and the, and the problems that they're going to be facing, um, really, really important. And I, I feel like there's this huge gap, huge gap between where I think they need to be, because I don't think we do a really good job of preparing our kids for success in life, and uh, where they should be, and our role in that. And unfortunately, I feel like we continue to point fingers to the educational system and say, that's your job. Um, but I think, uh, I, I think your point is very well taken. It's it, no, it's, it's everybody's job. So if you can speak to that, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, I think absolutely is every, everybody's job. I think here's the thing I, I find interesting about systems. So when we talk about systems, we talk about systems almost exclusive of people. That somehow the systems just like the word that they're somehow they're natural systems. Then there's the ecological systems that are certainly natural. They're 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 uh, made by some something bigger than us. But a lot of the systems we talk about are systems that we've created ourselves. That don't work. We know they don't work. They work for a small segment of people, but we're okay with it working for only a, a small segment of people. Um, but we can't sustain a planet like that. So I'll give an example. 
During the day, I work in the financial services industry. And clients will call you and they'll say, hey, what's a good thing for me to invest in? And I said, well, there's a lot of good things, but here's the question. Do you want the investment to solely show up on your your statement or do you want the investment to show up in, in your community? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you could invest, let's say, in, in Target. Target's a wonderful company to, to, to buy your stock. I'm not making a stock selection. So if anyone from the SEC is listening, that's not what I'm suggesting. Um, but <laughs> but when you go in a store like that and, and it's a busy day, you get to choose what you think about humans also. There's a line where there's someone standing and it's an actual cashier. And then there's all these wonderful lines that say self-checkout. Which do you choose? Right? Because to choose the self-checkout line says that I care less, at least says to me, that I care less about humans. Because the self-checkout line doesn't have anyone working there. And the self-checkout line is good for me as a shareholder because the most expensive thing about running a company is labor. So I can get rid of labor, my profits go up, which means my 401k goes up or my investment portfolio increases. But at the same time, the people in my community are now unemployed. And so then, then the outcome of that is that my school systems have less money because people don't want to live in a community where people are vastly unemployed. And so one day, what by my, my by me trying to do something that was best for me, I've essentially saddled the whole community with perhaps a worse educational system that's responsible for preparing the next generation of, of people. So, you know, all of us have to be conscious about the decisions that we make um, and, and then it thus create systems that allow us to continue to propel hum, humanity forward. I love that. I love that the fact that you just tied using the self-checkout line at your grocery store to like the education system and the well-being of your community because it's the little things like that that do make a difference and we all get lulled into that sense of convenience over people and it happens every day and to hear it just so eloquently put just like snapped it into my brain again and i love it well i thank you if i could snap something in your brain i've done something something pretty good today i don't usually usually do anything but snap my own brain so yes the audience can't see it but i'm actually doing Nathaniel, you don't know how true a statement that is. It really is very true when it comes to the end, for sure. I, I, this morning, our time together um, is uh, sadly kind of wrapping itself up. And one of the things that I always like to do is like, hey, are there some things that um, you're, you want our audience to know or you want to share that we haven't talked about yet? And if so, what are they? Go ahead and, and share that with us. Not really. The only thing I would say is uh, one of the things I hope I hope my son and I get a chance to see come to fruition is something that we started to illustrate in the book. It's this thing called a nano community. And we've been thinking really seriously about how do we create a community so that we no longer have to have people who are, quote unquote, um, underserved and underrepresented. Where we have people who are living in poverty or folks who are living in food deserts. We we found a, um, a process, and it's not new to us. People have been doing it in other countries for a, year, for a while now where people have been 3D printing homes. But we now can 3D print homes about 1,900 square feet for about $6,000. Um, but yet we still are selling people homes in, on average in this country of $300,000 plus, or we still have homelessness. So we, 
we'd like to do something like that. And then, of course, take some of the tools that we've used with his educational system and make it a part of his educational progress and make it a part of an educational system so that families could live in a community where they can get a great education. It has nothing to do with their zip code and they can own their own home because we think that that's there's some ties. We didn't have a chance to talk about that, but there's there's some ties into, of course, the, the quality of living and the kind of education children get throughout this country. Love it. Uh, could you do me a favor and do our audience a favor and, and uh, let us know how we can best connect with you, see what you're doing, catch up with you, follow your pages, stuff like that. Will you come over for dinner? I'm a vegan. You're okay. Okay, great. <laughs> I, I'm there. Send the invite. I'm there. Simply, I have a website. It's nathanielaturner.com. So it's N A T H A N I E L A T R N E R dot com. Yep. So that's the, the, if you go there, you can find everything. And we have the League of Extraordinary Parents. I believe the website is LX. TrapTRAP.com. Amazing. Okay, awesome. I, I'm just so inspired. Thank you so much for showing up. And I know that you and I kind of went back and forth on how do I get you on. And I'm just so glad that, you, um, that we could make this happen. Um, and I really, really appreciate it. Danielson. Yes, Scott. Could you do me a solid and let our audience know how they can best connect with us? No, I refuse. No, absolutely. All right, party people. If you haven't already, hit us up at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us any questions you may have. Send us any thoughts. Uh, still tell us what you had for Thanksgiving because that's pretty important. But, you know, also tell us how your holidays are going. We want to know. Uh, if you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. And finally, for all you Instagram party people, Fab Learning Nerds. Scott. Hey, everybody, we're going to wrap things up today. If you do me a favor, hit like on that uh, button when it comes to our podcast. Subscribe, share it out with your friends. It's the best way for us to get information out. If you're catching us on a podcatcher like iTunes or Stitcher, leave us a review. We'd love to hear how we're doing. We'd love to make sure that we're delivering value to you. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. And I'm Nate. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. Hey there, this is Scott. This is Dan. And this is Abby. And we just want to take a few minutes as we go into these holidays to thank all the guests who've sat down with us this year. You've really inspired us. I think you've really inspired a lot of our audience. And we just want to say thank you. And from all the fabulous nerds, we wish you and yours happy holidays. Happy holidays from the nerds. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention. Meet with teachers. Make up work get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off 
your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.